Welcome to the Rare Faith Podcast, where the solution to every problem is only an idea away, and where the same activity with just a little more awareness always yields better results. Award-winning, best-selling author, Leslie Householder, brings some of her best information to this inspiring series of life-changing episodes that you won't want to miss. Show notes for this episode can be found at rarekindoffaith.com. Hello and welcome to a very special virtual book tour. My name is Alex Mondosian, and this is the virtual book tour for Portal to Genius. Now, portaltogenius.com is where we are, and if you go there now, you'll see a picture of Leslie Householder and Garrett Gunderson. But lean forward, grab a pen, and get ready, because astonishing, brilliant, inspired, profound, mind-bending, a masterpiece. These are just some of the words and reviews that have come through for this book. Now, on the line right now, we have Leslie Householder. She is the award-winning, best-selling author of The Jack Rabbit Factor, Why You Can. And we have Garrett B. Gunderson, New York best-selling author of Killing Sacred Cows. And you'll get the experience and the author's point of view of this book, Portal to Genius, of which The Jack Rabbit Factor is contained within. So, Leslie, you first. Welcome to this very special virtual book tour. Thanks so much for having me, Alex. Great to be here. Well, I've asked this question of Jack Canfield, Mark Victor Hansen, and various best-selling authors. I'm going to ask you flat out, what is the specific incident that inspired you to write this book? You know, it goes back about 10 years, actually. Uh, my husband and I, about 20 years ago when we got married, we decided that you know, we wanted me to be able to stay home with the kids when they were born, and when that happened, we weren't prepared financially to do that. So for the next seven years, it was all about trying to pull out of a deep, dark financial hole, trying to get life the way we wanted it, depression, you know, blah, blah, blah. But at one point, I was in such a a mindset of frustration over finances that I literally called the police on a kid who broke my broom. And it wasn't, but just about a year later, I called the cops again on a five-year-old who stole cookie dough out of my fridge. So if you can kind of get a sense of the frustration and the the blindness that I felt about how to solve our financial problems at the time. But we started going to seminars, and we became seminar addicts. We could tell that there was something that needed to change about the way we were thinking in order to get different results. But every time we would try to implement what we'd been taught, the changes just weren't permanent, or we'd feel good for a week or two, and then we'd fall back down to where we were before. And this cycle went on for seven years. I counted it up one time, and we'd attended more than 100 seminars. And it was really frustrating. I got to a point where I decided, you know what, honey, I'm done. I cannot ride this ride anymore. I'll go to one more, but after that, if things don't really change, I'm done. And you can keep going if you want, but I'm just going to have to figure out how to be happy the way things are. And it was luckily at that one that the lights went on, and I finally got it. You know, they say, got it. And what does that mean? It's different for every person. But the lights went on and we applied what we had finally figured out and in three months had tripled our income. And that, you know, that began the the snowball going. I, I started teaching seminars. I started sharing with people what I had learned and not just how to do it, but understanding all the hundreds of ways that it doesn't work, you know, to uh, use positive thinking to to get better results. But I was, you know, I was a mom. I wasn't looking for a career necessarily. And so teaching seminars was time consuming and and I felt duty bound to do it, but it just wasn't working out. And so I decided that in order to not feel guilty 
I think at the time I had five children, I have seven now, that I would write a book and let it be my seminar, that it would continue to teach people while I was changing diapers at home, essentially. And, and that was The Jackrabbit Factor. That's the first book that you mentioned on the call tonight. And what that is is it's a story that takes these concepts that took us seven years to figure out and puts them in story form so that the reader has an emotional experience to take the concepts from their head down into their heart where the change takes place, where it needs to take place for these principles to work. And uh, that was that. But that was in 2005, and since then I've learned some hard lessons. It's been an amazing ride. It's been a great experience. But after a few years, I realized that there was more to know. And so along comes Garrett Gunderson, and, and we uh, learned some things from him that, that really turned things around again for us. And so that's where this book came from, co-authoring it with him to take what we had learned from, you know, up to Jackrabbit Factor and take it to the next level for the for the readers. Now, Leslie, how many children do you have? I have seven. You have seven children. I do. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, that... it's kind of funny because people hear the Jackrabbit Factor. Does that have something to do with being prolific? <laughs> like, no, no, it's not related. <laughs> well, I want to be clear that... When you look at the title of Portal to Genius, you see at the top the Jackrabbit Factor. So will you explain what that has to do with the with Portal to Genius? It, it's inside the book, correct? Yeah, well, see, we, uh, you know, I felt like it was really time to write the sequel to the Jackrabbit Factor, and that's what Portal to Genius is. And originally I had put it together to stand alone, just in case people didn't read Jackrabbit Factor, and it, it became clearly obvious that there was too much foundational information and concepts and story in the first book that the second book could not stand alone. And so we've included the entire manuscript, the entire text of the Jacobit Factor in the first, oh, some 120 pages or so of this Portal to Genius book. So the readers get both of them all in one. And Garrett, you're not new to being interviewed. We've interviewed each other, and I've interviewed you on a previous book, which was Killing Sacred Cows. But why does this book uh, hold a special place in your heart? Well, this book's a fictional story, so it's just it's really enjoyable and emotional. I mean, look, I'm a co-author, but as I, I, I read it, there's multiple times that I've gotten emotional in reading it. It's the type of book where I'm like, i got to get my wife to read this. This will help us out as I'm an entrepreneur, always with crazy ideas, always looking to progress and do the next thing. And sometimes her and I aren't always on the same page. And this book really addresses some of that. And it also addresses one specific incident in the portal to genius that I always said if it were to happen to me might shake the core of all my beliefs and the foundation of everything that I do. And Leslie and I actually went into that investigated it, interviewed other people, and described it in this story. So it's, it's just, it's, it's moving and it's, and it's touching and it's inspiring. It's not killing sacred cows, which is informational and possibly transformational, but, you know, that's pretty hardcore content where this checkers that content in a very useful way through stories. Ken Blanchard is a good friend of mine, and he is known to write in a more of a parable format where, you know, there are stories that are very, very sticky and Who Moved My Cheese and One Minute Manager and, and various other books. Is this more in line with that, Garrett? Have you changed your approach in writing books, or is, have you just turned a different direction from Killing Sacred Cows as co-authoring this book? Well, the way that this book even came about was 
Leslie became a, a client of mine, and my book, Killing Sacred Cows, was one of the first books that she read cover to cover. She reads books, but cover to cover in the kind of personal development genre, and then her husband, Trevin, and her, I began coaching them, and as they were implementing this in their life, it started to fill in some of the blanks in Jackrabbit Factor, the first story, and the reason that we even came together is my co-author on Killing Sacred Cows put Jackrabbit Factor as one of the recommended reading lists. And I said, we can't recommend a book I haven't read. And he said, well, then go read the book. And after I read it, I said, i got to reach out to these guys. So it's a way to reach a market that I didn't reach before, and it's a way to reach my current market in a way that I've never touched them before and helped them before. So it was a perfect opportunity for me. Well, if you're listening right now, we are on with Leslie Householder and Garrett Gunderson and the book is Portal to Genius. Jack Rabbit Factor is inside that book as well. And I recommend you get three books, one for yourself, one for a loved one, and one for someone who could really benefit from this. And if you're on the website, portaltogenius.com, then just look at the uh, testimonials. You know, Brian Tracy at the, at the top of the heap. So this book is not only... Uh, Alex Mondosian on here. Yes, and, and not only uh, <laughs> not only is it important to read it, but just take a look at who else has read it and why they feel it's important. So, Leslie, I'm going to go back to you. Who is the ideal reader? Who, who did you have in mind when you wrote this? You know, it's interesting. I'd like to say everyone, but I know it, it's not necessarily for everyone. More specifically, it is for people who know they have more inside of them that has not been tapped and who perhaps have been like us, who've been searching for ways to create their ideal life, searching for ways to solve problems in their life that keep cropping up time and time again, how to get those behind them once and for all. And, you know, it's interesting because there are a number of characters that we follow through this story. The readers are going to get to follow Richard and Felicity Goodman, who are at the end of their financial rope. They've got relationship issues because of that. Uh, we follow Morgan, who needs an unauthorized surgery for his ailing son. So there's these principles are not just about money. But we also follow Ray, who needs to find $4.5 million in just a few days, as they each discover their portals to genius. And that's what the title comes from, is recognizing that the solution to every problem is only an idea away. And so it's teaching you through story how to get to a place where those ideas will come to you, those strokes of genius, because they're available to everybody. And it's a process in getting yourself into that kind of a position to receive them. And, Garrett, before I go to you, you know, my first thought was uh, this was written for someone who feels stuck. But then in looking back at it, it just reminds me of the dabbler, you know, People going to seminars constantly, but never, you know, implementing, you know, what they learn, or people having thoughts and dreams and hopes, but never executing what their thoughts were or dreams were, and they just keep dabbling. And that may sound harsh to some people, but I don't think it's so much just being stuck. It's dabbling and never getting going. And who's the ideal reader for you? Is it the same reader that Leslie had in mind? I see the, the ideal reader is the entrepreneur. The entrepreneur that's out there, and they have this vision. They have something they want to accomplish, but there's all these trials. There's tribulations. There's obstacles. There's things that even derail them temporarily, or whether it's in their business with partnerships there, to their marriage, to having the resources financially to get through it. This book is really for those people to, to read and go, wait, other people experience this too? And, oh, look, here's how they resolved it. And, and there's things. 
Alex, you know this, but, you know, it's like Leslie said, one idea away. Well, I'd say it's even one relationship away as well. And learning about the types of capital beyond just financial capital that help people to go from saying, I don't have the resources, to being more resourceful to accomplish their passion and discover their puzzles of genius. So that's part of the reason why we have the seven-step cash recovery is, well, let's, let's show you how you can do this without just live that inspired life. Bring that vision out, whether you have the monetary means to do it or not doesn't matter if you understand the principles of this book. Well, on the very back cover, at the very top, it says, because the solution to every problem is only an idea away. And I, I think that's not only a very true sentence, but if you look at the names that follow, praise from Robert Allen, Bob Proctor, Stephen M. R. Covey, T. Harv Ecker, Bill Bartman, Dan Sullivan, Christine Comerford Lynch, Roy Williams, Ivan Meisner, Yours truly, Alex Mondosian, Robert Sheeman, Laurel Langmeyer, Hiram Smith, Mark Victor Hansen, Brian Tracy, and many, many others. Not the types of people who would be giving praise to fiction. And when you continue to read, it says, because of the message in this book, I attained the world's best job out of 34,000 applicants. That was Ben who said that. And I've changed somewhere on the inside thanks to this book. I just got my passion back. I see now where my rabbits have been all along. Kim says that. I found myself clapping, laughing, and crying from chapter to chapter. Dottie says that. And it just goes on and on. It was a huge breakthrough for me. I seriously can't believe how hard I was making it. This will be my guidebook for my future. Krista says that. And then Monique says, if I'm ever stranded on a desert island with just one bag, I hope it contains Portal to Genius. So with that, I have to come back to you, Leslie. Where the heck did the title come from? <laughs> Do you want to know what the title was going to be? <laughs> well, I'd love to hear it. I know Think and Grow Rich was make a uh, boodle with your noodle, and I, I think Napoleon Hill sacked that. So what was the title going to be? This, this uh, one might be close. This one might rival it. Good, so yeah. you know. uh, Hassan Pfeffer in Munich. <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, you know, uh, I struggled with the title for a long time, and when I when I landed on Hassan Pfeffer in Munich, which, by the way, is rabbit stew in Germany, it struck me so forcefully that that's it because of it describes so much. You're going to understand when you read the book why that phrase is so important. But when I, you know, ran it past Garrett, I braced myself. I kind of knew it wouldn't go over very well. Well, when well, someone's walking by on a bookstore and they see that <laughs> vertically down the spine, I don't think they'd uh, stop. So I'm glad no, you changed the I, name. I know, I know. And and honestly, when the Portal to Genius was just kind of floating around in my head, like, yeah, 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 that's kind of what it is. But man, it, Haas and Pfeffer in Munich really captures it. <laughs> And uh, Garrett helped me see that it's important. Portal to Genius, I think it, it does okay. Okay, so Garrett, when you were originally told what the, the title was going to be, spill the beans, what went on in your mind? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean... Uh, I, I, an I said, unabridged version, please. I said, what? You <laughs> <laughs> couldn't hear me. I said, I said Leslie, un- unfortunately, people do judge a book by its cover. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's important to be able to read the title as well, especially, you know, in American bookstores. So, and you know, sell it and type it. And exactly. So sure. Portal, Portal the Genius, I think that that's an ingenious title because what Portal really stands for and what genius stands for. I mean, one thing that um, I know Buckminster Fuller was credited of um, saying is, you know, his, his three universal principles are we're all born geniuses, you know, as kids, 
And the only failure is the failure to participate. And mistakes are great. You know, the more mistakes we make, uh, the smarter we get. And really, it, it captures the essence of, you know, the stories in this book as it relates to participation and how to overcome mistakes. And there's that part of us that's always been a genius, but just unfound. And that's kind of the type of feedback you're getting from readers. And what I love about it is on the back title, you know, sometimes you have world-renowned authors with their write-ups. But here, you have people who aren't well-known, and they just have heart-centered feedback for you. So what's that feedback been like ever since you changed the title of the book? And this is out to you, Leslie. I'm glad the title is what it is, but how do you feel about the, the feedback coming in and, and the type of feedback you're getting? Oh, oh it, it moves me because I know, I know what they're experiencing as they read it, and, and I can tell what they're talking about when they give me their feedback. Because the book itself, the story itself, had to be a function of what I'm teaching, what Garrett and I both teach. When I originally started the book, it was back in December of 08, and I had sat down and I determined, because I understand these principles to some degree, that I would write it in two weeks. Garrett and I would just knock it out and in two weeks have everything wrapped up because writing the first book was really hard on the family having mom hold up in the room trying to concentrate and whatever. And with as many kids as we have, it's just it's not an easy thing to do. And so I actually went to my mother's to take two weeks and see what I could get done. And the goal was to have it done by January. Wow. And Garrett and I had already collaborated and we'd already planned the, you know, as much of it as we could. But I hit a brick wall, and Garrett knows this. He experienced it with me, that said, you you can't write the ending. I didn't know the ending of this book. I knew the ending of the first book before I started, but this one I did not know the ending. I just knew it needed to happen, and I figured that it would work itself out as we as we got through it. But we hit a brick wall, and the thought came to me very forcefully that said, you cannot write the ending because you have not experienced it yet. And so I said, all right, Garrett, we got to put this down for a while, and I don't know when we're going to be done with it, but it's got to be set aside. And for the next six months, as Garrett was coaching us, like you said, we were his clients, he was coaching us through some things we were going through, I was experiencing the things that the characters in the book were going to have to go through in some form or fashion, you know, in a fictionalized setting. And after six months, we had the ending because we had lived it. And the readers are going to get near the end, and they're going to see one of the chapters that mentions an experience at a restaurant, and they're going to think, oh, that's cheesy, that could never happen, I guess that's fiction. And the fact of the matter is that that's absolutely true. What happened to those characters at the restaurant is what happened to us. So, you know, the readers are going to want to pick this up and find out what that was. Cause it, and and there's a lot of this book that's Leslie's story or my story that are actual events. Yeah, blended. The, the more unbelievable parts of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing which is very striking, because I typically don't read fiction. I don't read any type of narratives. Usually it's nonfiction. It's marketing. It's hardcore. You know, it's killing sacred cows type books. But what I found to be very interesting was on page seven, I'd never seen this before, and I don't know if it's in other books or not, but you have a character guide. And it says the following story spans 22 years. You'll soon discover a number of important characters that will be followed throughout. In order to glean the most benefit from this book, unimpeded by the multiple storylines, a complimentary character guide may be obtained at portaltogenius.com. 
forward slash characters. Let me repeat, portaltogenius.com forward slash characters. And the author strongly recommends, and both authors are on the phone right now on this virtual book tour, that you obtain the complimentary character guide prior to beginning your experience with Portal to Genius. This reminded me of like a one of those mysteries that uh, if you ever go through and you follow characters in a home or a mansion that I've been through with my wife, Amy, there's multiple storylines happening, and when you follow one character, you're only seeing a piece of it, but by going back and following each character, you get the full story. Why did you come up with the character guide, number one, and is is that unique? Leslie, the question's yours. I don't know if it's unique or not, honestly, but uh, it was created because the principles and the message in this book is so profound and so potentially life-changing to the readers that I didn't want anybody getting hung up on trivia. You know what I mean? I wanted them to feel free to just lose themselves in the experience, not worrying about remembering anybody in particular and the details and whatever because they knew they could just look at the guide and remind themselves, okay, this person is that person. And there's really not that many characters, but I just wanted to do everything that I could to make sure that the experience was unimpeded. It's like a table of contents for the characters, so I think it's a just a brilliant concept. Garrett, if you were to be asked, what's the promise of the book? Knowing that you know it's a storyline, it's fiction, it's different than uh, the other book that you've written, what would you say the promise is? What do we get out of Portal to Genius other than hope when we're done reading? Well, I think that the fact that it's called Portal to Genius is an insight to the promise because the promise is that you'll have an insight to what our greatest asset is, what your greatest asset is, any individual, and a different level of showing up in life because of something called soul purpose you'll have a different insight to that than ever before based upon how this book discusses it and shows examples through the stories and the people. Well, Soul Purpose is S-O-U-L, Purpose. So let us know what that means for those who may not be familiar with, with your teachings and training. Soul Purpose is your unique combination of passions, gifts, and values combined for your highest context of living or your life mission, otherwise called your purpose. So everyone has a soul purpose, but not everyone lives their soul purpose. And uh, so it's it's part of your most natural expression and greatest version of who you are. And it's also that soul purpose, S-O-L-E, of us being alive and, and being here. And going to the structure of the book, when you look through the table of contents, that's you know, the structure is set up where there are like multiple, I would call them what, chapters? Would you call them chapters? Because there's two parts in the book, and they're very brief. None of them that I can see are more than 10 pages. How did you come up with this structure, and, and who came up with it? Was it you or Garrett, Leslie? The part one is the jackrabbit factor, and so those chapter titles, those were mine. They're brief. They're the problem, reflections, the past, the fear, etc., and they are the chapters themselves are brief because I feel like it keeps the reader going. You don't get too bogged down in any one part. It moves quickly. In fact, I had one reader tell me that the book moved too fast. It didn't allow me to stop and ponder. And I thought, well, it's not an audio. It's a book. You can wow. stop at any point you want. But the titles of each of these chapters, especially in part one, they're nouns. They're like the fear, the instruction, the insanity, the irony. 
And I named them that way because part one especially is in somewhat of an allegory form or a parable form, and each experience in each chapter is symbolic or similar to the kinds of experiences that I've found everybody that I've ever met who has strived to improve their lives or strived to become all that they can be, that's called being on a path. And we all experience the same kinds of challenges. No challenge is necessarily unique to any one person. And I think the more we discuss these things with each other and find out that these challenges, these dilemmas are common to humanity at large, then we can more quickly discover the so-called best practices for getting through them, getting on top of them, and even experiencing joy in spite of them. That makes a lot of sense. And with that, give us an overview of some of the characters and the storyline. And take your time, just so people get a mental picture or a little movie happening in their minds of what's actually happening here and what the resolutions are to the storyline. The story opens up with Richard and Felicity Goodman. They are the couple that I mentioned before who are at the end of their financial rope. And from my own story, my husband's story, it's kind of coming through. But you find out that they are in an argument. That's how the story opens. And you find out that Felicity, the wife, she slips up and she berates her husband for his inability to provide for the family. Well, he's defeated, uh, if you can imagine. He disappears into the woods behind their home, and she actually ends up being a little bit nervous that maybe he has gone to end his life. It's gotten that serious, and that's the opening of the book. Well, what happens is Richard embarks upon his own amazing and courageous journey where he discovers his own best advisor, who is his inner voice. And so the question that the book answers is, well, where has he gone, and what is required of Felicity before she can find him? And as you follow that first part of the story, you recognize that both Richard and Felicity are independently having to discover certain principles, certain success principles in order to achieve their goals. Her goal is to find him. His goal is to solve this money problem. And so during that first part of this book, in part one, The Jackrabbit Factor, you're going to unlock with Richard the secret behind that voice of inspiration. And you find out for yourself how truly dependable and even ingenious, your own inner voice can be. And I'm not going to share the conclusion of their experience in the Jackrabbit Factor because it would spoil it for the reader. Good. I wasn't going to let you anyway. (laughs) (laughs) But at the end, you're very briefly introduced to someone else who has an amazing idea. And at that point, you don't know how it relates with Richard and Felicity, but you're left wondering. And so then Portal to Genius opens up, and it takes you back 10 years prior. It's a flashback, 10 years, and you begin to follow the man who had the amazing idea at the end of the first book. You find out where he came from, who he is, what his problem is, and essentially his name is Morgan, and he has a son who is sick, and he needs the surgery, but there are some problems around the way the medical community has prescribed his help, but Morgan takes it upon himself. He puts it into his own hands to find a solution for his son. And so this is the first time that the term portal to genius is introduced in the book because he comes up with a device that's groundbreaking, it's innovative, and it's going to be a valve, an innovative heart valve that's going to save his son where the ones on the market at the time were not going to do what he needed to do. So that's the beginning of that story. He also has a friend named Ray who is his own cardiologist because he also had had heart problems. 
and Ray becomes the surgeon to help them solve their problem. But Ray has discovered that he's got other passions, and he's not sure why after a surgery he's feeling exhilarated at the accomplishment, but he goes back to his office and he's perplexed because he's wondering, where is his life going? Why does he not feel as fulfilled as he know he can feel? Uh, and he's searching for what Garrett has, has introduced as sole purpose. He's looking for his sole purpose. He's pleased with his work, but there's something missing. And so we begin to follow him and his journey towards discovering what is his life's mission and why hasn't he found it yet and how is he going to find it and how is he going to transition into it. And then those 10 years pass, and then we connect back up with Richard and Felicity, and we find out how all of those people tie in together, and you find the resolution to each of their challenges. And it was fascinating to us to watch it unfold. And you start the book prior, actually more into the future. Mm -hmm. The Jackrabbit Factor is more into the future than Portal to Genius. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, Jackrabbit Factor is smack in the middle of the 22 years. So you start out with Jackrabbit Factor, then you go back 10 years, and then you catch up, and then you go forward another 10 or 12. Garrett, i got to tip my hat to you. you. You take a concept that you're known for in circles that I'm part of, you know, sole purpose, and having a book speak to that is, I think, ingenious, especially a book that's fictional and has a, the stickiness of, of story. I mean, is this the beginning of something, or do you think this is a one-off that you're doing? Alex, you know, like when we read business books, sometimes I, if you're like me, I don't read the whole book. But it's, if you're going to read a fictional book, you're going to read the whole book. That's, it, the likelihood is so much greater. And from a concept that like sole purpose, it's especially valuable. Because sole purpose isn't just an activity. It's who someone is. And so I love the opportunity of working with Leslie because I had saved – an event that I did called the Benevolent Power of Soul Purpose that, you know, maybe 80 people ever got to see. And it was just in my private library, and I opened it up to Leslie and to see it come alive in these stories and in these characters to a different degree. And really, for anyone that wants more financial capital, that there's two more important forms of capital and one that Soul Purpose especially drives, that's part of this book. So if you want more money and a better life, there's these other things to pay attention to and to have that come across. It's pretty cool, I think. I mean, it's uh, totally different than anything I'd ever done before. Well, if you go, and I'm assuming you're there, portoflegenius.com, that's the virtual book tour site, and you see a picture of the book, a picture of Garrett and Leslie, and it says, follow the Goodmans who are at the end of their financial rope. Morgan, who needs a, a life-saving solution for his son, and Ray, who needs to find $4.5 million by Wednesday as they each discover their portal to genius. Built on the premise that the solution to every problem is just an idea away, Garrett B. Gunderson, New York Times bestselling author of Killing Sacred Cows, and Leslie Householder, award-winning bestselling author of The Jackrabbit Factor, bring you an experience you'll never forget through this brilliant work true to its name. I've only had one other fictional book or story based book that's a narrative that's not nonfiction as a virtual book tour and this is the second one and this one I happen to like a little bit more not only because I like the people that I'm interviewing I like the author of the other one but this one kinda has a personal development twist to it and it's using a narrative to do that so Leslie you know the stickiness of telling a story were you thinking personal development when this was being written 
or did you just write out the story and then it just happened to be personal development oriented? Oh, absolutely not. I, like I said, I was teaching seminars and needed a way to communicate a message. And honestly, I'd never viewed myself as an author or a writer. I was a math major. <laughs> but I, I recognized that because of my background, having attended so many seminars and having read so many books, Garrett said that I didn't read, you know, I don't read very many books from front to back. We read many, many front to back until we discovered, you know, the lights went on for us. And then I was very, very selective and picky about what I read. And when I read Killing Sacred Cows, I'm like, oh, my word, this is Jackrabbit Factor 202. And so it did catch my interest there. But the personal development side of it is primary. I struggle every time I try to enter the data of this book in, in library journal or whatever to describe whether it's fiction or nonfiction because it's, it's completely nonfiction fiction. <laughs> it's both. And the reason it needed to be fiction is because I had read so many books that gave me the bullet points, that gave me the steps, the how-tos, the everything else, and I knew it cognitively, and I understood it on an intellectual level, but I had personally experienced the frustration of not seeing real sticky results with the activities that, you know, the, the things that I would do to implement what I had learned until something inside of me had changed, something in my heart had changed, something in my perception, my paradigms had to shift before the efforts that we put out gave us the results we were really looking for. I mean, you talked earlier about the ideal reader, and I would argue that it's not even so much the person who dabbles as it is the person who has been trying to implement perhaps for years and is frustrated because they can't understand why their results are not what the gurus promised. And so it's because something inside needs to change, and that's what the fiction does for a person is it takes it from the logical mind into the heart, and it happens without even trying because you allow yourself to get lost in the story, and that shift is facilitated through the story. Garrett, I'm going to go to you for the final word, and then back to you, Leslie. On the free giveaway, if you go to the webpage, portaltogenius.com, Actually, you get more than one chapter, but what's interesting to me, Garrett, is you're kind of smuggling relationship capital, <laughs> which is one of the concepts that you, you commonly talk about and is one of my favorite concepts because of you know, what it really involves. So for those who may not be familiar with what relationship capital is, it is one of the chapters that you are giving away. What is relationship capital? Why is it so important? Anyone I've met that I've asked them if they want more financial capital, they, they say yes, for the most part. And uh, the problem is financial capital is merely a byproduct of or a function of two other forms of capital, one being relationship capital. See, the only true assets in this world are people. And relationship capital are those people that you know or that you influence or that you impact, it's organizations, it's networks, it's individuals. And so as much as we're one idea away, we're one person away because that could be the person with the idea. That could be the person that we create something with as you kind of read about in the book. And so if you ever want more financial capital, create value for people. Debt's a source of um, mismanagement of relationship capital where we've taken more than we've given. So how can you provide value for other people? How can they pay for you to live your sole purpose? to bring them value to serve and to solve problems. You know, relationship capital is key. And Alex, the day that I met you, 
I didn't make more financial capital that day, but because of the relationship capital we developed, I inevitably made more relationship capital down the road. I mean, what you've taught me about teleseminars, and I expect just from teleseminars a million dollars of revenue. And we're on track as of the time of this call. Well, this, so, this virtual book tour is a function of relationship capital because when you ask me to do it, you're one of my six people that I never say no to. It's always yes. And so that takes a lot of relationship capital and trust because you know you're going to ask me things that you know I'm going to say yes to. I don't even question it. So when we decided to put this virtual book tour together, it is a direct result of relationship capital that we both have. And it's something that has to be earned. You know, just like money, that relationship capital has to be earned. But one thing I've noticed about relationship is that people appreciate a lot faster <laughs> than, than money does, regardless of the economy. And so we're really speaking into and doing, you know, what Chapter 22 talks about in the form of a storyline. So that will continue, you know, on an ongoing basis. And just like money needs to be tended to, relationships do as well. I mean, what's your experience with that as it relates to relationship capital? Because, you know, not every relationship is resolved in the clear resolution like this book has. What happens when something goes sideways, just like losing a lot of money with physical capital? What do you do with relationships when they go sideways? Well, I'll answer that and then just talk about where you're genius and where you mentored me in relationship capital. When a relationship goes sideways, you lose energy. You lose opportunity. You might have to go try to mend that. You lose your focus or your own self-confidence because that relationship goes sideways. Or they post something negative. It hurts your reputation. Other people don't work with you. So that's the problem with relationship capital. It goes sideways. And Alex, you're absolutely genius because some people, they focus so much on financial capital. Here's a perfect example. Someone wants to put it on an event. They sell tickets to the event because when they sell the ticket, they get a bunch of financial capital. If they leave it at that, they don't build the real picture. See, when you put on an event, what do you do? You create stick strategies. You, you get them to, to prepare for the event. You give them all this value leading up to the event. You give them value when they leave the event and of how they could take action in their life. And some people go, well, where's the financial capital in that? That costs you money. No, you built so much relationship capital. The day that you say, hey, I've got this book, Lead From Behind, how many people are ready to promote that? I'll promote that in two seconds, actually in less than two seconds. I'll put it up there because you've built so much relationship capital. Businesses call this goodwill, right, or economic value added. So you've got to make a deposit before you make a withdrawal. Otherwise, the check's going to bounce. And if you're around there just taking what you can from people without giving 10 times back, those checks are going to bounce, those relationships are going to go sideways, and inevitably down the road you're going to have less financial capital that you might not have been able to see how much it would have been. But look, if we all understood relationship capital to the fullest, we'd all be not only millionaires, but not only multimillionaires, but the velocity of exchange in this world would increase so much that we wouldn't have the problems that we see today. The biggest problem would be what we would do with all this abundance. <laughs> the key issue is what is a function of an economy it really is how money circulates, just like blood circulating in your body. And usually that's a function of confidence. And when confidence is, is lost, then sometimes we have a mess. And so with relationship capital, one thing that is clear to me, almost like tithing, whether you do it spiritually or you do it you know, financially, just putting 10% aside, you don't think about it. That money was not yours to begin with, so you just set it aside. So when the folks and, and the people that are closest to me, when they ask something of me, it's not like a favor where I'm looking, okay, how can I 
you know, get this back? What can I cash in on this later? You just do it, and somehow magically it just comes back, you know, many, many fold. And this is not woo-woo. It, it, it happens, and this virtual book tour is a function of that. I remember when um, you asked me, could we do this, and I didn't even... I didn't even question it. I said, yeah, sure, when? <laughs> and we just had to figure out the time that would work for all of us because this is a little different virtual book tour. We have three people instead of two. Usually I'm interviewing one author. By the way, Leslie, great job. Thank great you. great job today. This is kind of scary to be on a virtual book tour, you know? So, <laughs> oh, it's fun. I, I love talking about this stuff. Well, it's, it's not as scary for me. as I mean, I, I got scared, you know, having a dog because now I'm not playing man-on-man. I have two kids and a little puppy, but... Having as many kids as you do and then writing a book, that is an accomplishment. So I, I'll have to take some coaching from you. I have no idea how you pulled that off. And, and Alex, you, you know I just got a puppy, too. Yeah. <laughs> I have a golden retriever puppy. It's growing fast. Well, <laughs> my wife and I, we, we figured, you know, after Gabriel and Brianna, like, what's next? Well, we'll go for the puppy instead, you know. But, you know, you got the final word, Leslie, on this. Um, I'm not going to – I don't want you to talk about the resolution about the storyline, but what, what what would be the final word you would want to leave everyone listening right now? You have some entrepreneurs, you have um, people who are not working right now listening, you have people who wish they were working, you have people who are dabbling, you have people who have miscommunications uh, with their own relationships, thwarted intentions, unmet expectations, everything that really the book talks about through its characters. What would you leave as the final word in listening you tonight, if someone were listening and just saying, okay, this book is for me and for someone else, what would you tell them? You know, it speaks to the individual. It speaks to the the corporate tycoon. It speaks to the wife. It speaks to the teenager. There are enough variety of characters in here, each coming to the same conclusions that it's, like I said, these are challenges that are common to humanity at large, and we all want more joy. We all want more peace of mind. We all want more solutions than than we've had so far, or we wouldn't be listening to this call. And the final word is that you have all you need to get started. You have everything you need to take the next step towards your ideal life, to living that sole purpose, to discovering it, and to profiting from it abundantly. And I I know people can get caught up in the anxiety that comes with thinking about all the things that they would need in order to accomplish what they want to accomplish out of life. But the first step is to just breathe, relax, and realize that you have all you need in this moment, and that's all that matters. And, you know, to take that next step, it's going to be unique for each person, but knowing what that next step is, is a function of the portal to genius. Well, we started with Leslie and Garrett. We're going to end with you as well for your final word. As you've been listening, portaltogenius.com. What are you waiting for? Click on that button if you haven't already done it. Get one, two, or more books. Garrett, you got the final word for the event tonight. Go for it. All right. This is the time. You know, it's a a small action, simple action to to grab this book. I think it's a, a unique experience, but what we all have within us and surrounded by us, is this magical thing called soul purpose. It's time for you to discover yours at a deeper level and really contribute because it's the solution to whatever problem we think is out there. Thank you, Garrett. On behalf of Garrett B. Gunderson and Leslie Householder, who are both co-authors of The Portal to Genius, this is Alex Mondosian. I'm going to sign off tonight. Remember, 
Here is the website again, portalthegenius.com. It sounds like I'm doing whatever it takes to motivate, inspire, and influence you to buy the book. You're right. I am. <laughs> so do it. <laughs> Get it now and then share it with others. All good wishes, and I hope our paths cross again soon. This concludes today's episode of the Rare Faith Podcast. You've been listening to Leslie Householder, author of The Jackrabbit Factor, Portal to Genius, and Hidden Treasures, Heaven's Astonishing Help with Your Money Matters. All three books can be downloaded free at a rarekindoffaith.com. So tell your friends and join Leslie again next time as she goes even deeper into the principles that will help you change your life.